is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Worldwide Sports Radio presents the, the, the Haystack Show Yo. with Mike Guido. And here we go on a Tuesday. It's the Haystack on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Worldwide Sports Radio.com. Mike Guido, Evan Mazza, my producer, Monica Ray, Big J, journalist. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. It's a big day today. We have Project Toy here. Yeah. Uh, what a, Gary Brown's going to be here at 1230, former Green Bay Packers offensive lineman, uh, ex-Super Bowl champion. Uh, we're going to get him on the air. He'll be signing autographs here in a little bit. And I hope um, I get to try on his Super Bowl ring. That's right. <laughs> well, we all try to, <laughs> right? Uh, but we we do have a busy show today, including Gary Brown. I'm going to give you my top ten teams in the NFL uh, coming up at about 12.15. Uh, but I do want to begin with this. Normally, when we compare teams and stack them up against each other, we take a number of things into account. Talent. Roster construction, coaching, organizational stability, the, the list goes on and on. But even with that, the formula is always different. It really, does, it really does matter what the individual person does at that particular spot. For example, the coaching matters more for one team more than another. The same thing with everything else. So it, quarterback, defense, what, whatever. It, it all matters to a certain extent for everybody differently now for the next couple of weeks the two teams that are going to be compared more than any other teams in football are the Dallas Cowboys and the Philadelphia Eagles they will be compared every single day until the end of the regular season both are six and six both are disappointing this year both are still fighting for the division one of them is going to make the playoffs, and the other is going to have a top 15 pick in the NFL draft. So their seasons can be ultimately decided in week 17 when they play each other in Philadelphia. So I decided, let's do it. If we compare Dallas and Philadelphia side by side, what would we come away with? They both have supremely talented rosters. They both have franchise quarterbacks that can make plays. They both have great offensive lines. Both have talent on defense that are underperforming. Both have front offices that primarily make good decisions from top to bottom. Ask yourself, with all of these similarities, what's the thing that separates the Eagles from the Cowboys? Doug Peterson. The Eagles have a coach, and Dallas does not. The Eagles beat the Giants last night in overtime at home, and I get that on the surface, that's, it's not impressive. It's the Giants. They have two wins on the year. It shouldn't take them to overtime to win a game. I get it. I never said I was in love with the Eagles. But regardless of whether that game should have been close or not, did you notice what Philly was able to do? Win the game late. They scored in the fourth quarter with two minutes left, and then they scored on the opening possession in overtime. Boom. Game over. That was it. Just like that, the Eagles won the game. Here's the other thing with this. 
the Eagles were down 17 to 3 at halftime. They looked awful to start the game. Their defense couldn't stop Eli Manning. The offense couldn't move the ball, and that's giant. This Giants defense is atrocious. It's terrible. But it didn't matter. The Eagles were able to score 20 unanswered points in the second half to win the game. When was the last time the Cowboys did that? Did we notice that Dallas is always dead in these situations? If Dallas goes down 17-3 and three, uh, 17 to 3 at half, they might as well pack up and go home. <laughs> They're taking the L that night. It's over. This is why I'm buying Philadelphia to win the division and for Dallas to, mix, to miss the playoffs. Dallas doesn't have the coaching staff that allows them to make big plays when they matter. They just don't. The Cowboys fall apart whenever a play has to get made. The play calling isn't good. They don't execute. Everything is very basic and very predictable. It, the Cowboys beat themselves more often than not. They do. The, you're forcing Dak to be perfect when most of the time he won't. Philadelphia is less prone to let that happen because of coaching. Okay, Carson Wentz was far from perfect last night. But when the game was on the line, he was put in a position to succeed. They were creative. They didn't force Wentz to be perfect. They ran the ball. Carson Wentz didn't just make the plays that needed to be made. Doug Peterson and that Eagles coaching staff made it hard for Wentz to fail. He made it hard for him to fail. That's the difference that separates Philadelphia and Dallas. I have more faith in Philly today because of it. I do. Also, think about how banged up the Eagles are offensively. This is another factor. No Deshaun Jackson. No Nelson Aguilar. An often injured offensive line. No Jordan Howard. They've been riddled with injuries all year. No Alshon Alshon Jeffrey. Well, Alshon Jeffrey played yesterday, but it two targets and didn't have a catch but it's they have they've had injuries all year and it has bogged them down but the Cowboys have been fully healthy virtually all year they missed Tyron Smith their left tackle for a couple of games but and they sit today the Cowboys and the Eagles with the same record and the Eagles look promising to win the division How does that work? The Eagles go to Washington next week, then back home to play Dallas, and then they close the season with the Giants in New York. That's that's the Eagles' remaining schedule. It is a cakewalk. Okay, that's definitely two wins and could very easily be three. Dallas is at home against the Rams next week. They play Philly in Week 17, and then they're home against Washington uh, to finish the year. With the way the Rams played Seattle on Sunday night, I'm not feeling confident in Dallas in that one. I'm not. <laughs> With the way, Dallas has lost four in the last five. <laughs> the Rams blew out Seattle in Los Angeles last week. I, I got a good feeling the Rams are going to take this one. Plus, the Rams kind of have the Cowboys number over the past couple of years. And I'd be shocked if Dallas swept the Eagles and finished with a 6-0 and division record. I don't think that that happens.
Okay, doesn't seem likely to me. I like the Eagles today to win the division after being stuck on Dallas basically the whole season. Okay, I ha- listen, I'm not saying that the Eagles are great, but the Eagles, the thing that separates the Eagles from the Cowboys is their ability to put themselves in a position to make the plays late. That's what it is. Okay, I don't think Carson Wentz is better than Dak. I don't think the Eagles roster is better than Dallas. I think they're actually very similar. If there is a separation, it is very minuscule. They're both extremely talented, and they're talented in the same spots. The difference is coaching. The difference is Doug Peterson versus Jason Garrett. The Eagles have that edge, and it showed last night. Down 17-3 to at the, the end of the first half. Couldn't move the ball, couldn't stop Eli. Still found a way to win the game. You're right on the coaching. You're right on the coaching advantage the Eagles have. It's not even close. The scary thing is Doug Pearson is two and five against Jason Garrett and the Cowboys since he became the coach in 2016. That's, yeah. what's, that's what's kind of scary and interesting about this. If you're the Eagles, how come Doug Pearson? You know Doug Pearson has an advantage over the Cowboys in terms of coaching and over Jason Garrett. How come he can't? Conv- how come he can't beat the beat the Cowboys consistently? That's I don't kind know. Of a question that needs to be that's, answered. That's football for you, I guess, right? I, I mean, like, I, I, that is, it is a good question to ask. I, I don't have an answer for you. I don't. Because I, I think that sometimes that's just how football works. John Harbaugh beats Bill Belichick. You know what I mean? It, and John Harbaugh well, John, John Harbaugh's a great coach, but, but he's not well, Bill Belichick. Well, we just, okay, but we just, all right, we saw Andy Reid just now beat be, Belichick in his in his own building right. a couple days exactly. ago. We saw but, they're Bill both, o- but that's the thing. They're both really – Andy Reid and John Harbaugh. Actually, John Harbaugh comes from the Andy Reid coaching tree. They're both really good coaches. They can at least match up with Belichick in turn because right. even, though, even though Belichick is great, they can at least match up with him because they know him well. They're good coaches themselves, and they've beaten him in the past. Jason Garrett, you right. see the coach. You see, It's a big advantage. Doug Pearson to Jason Garrett. It's a huge advantage in terms of the Eagles. How come it's not translating on the, on the field whenever these two teams right. meet? And for the Eagles – Big win for them yesterday, I mean, going down 17-3 to the Giants at the half. Big win for them to come back. Right. But in two weeks, when they take on the Cowboys, Doug Peterson has to find a way to beat the Cowboys, as crazy as that sounds. Right. Two and five has to be different. So, while we're uh, – we brought up Bill Belichick, so now we're speaking to the Patriots here. So, I think most people are realizing now that we get caught looking in the rearview mirror with New England. Right? right? This offense can't score points. Brady isn't any good anymore. This defense isn't as good as we hyped it up to be. Now, there are still people that will tell me, but Guido, they're 10-3. and three. They, They've played the easiest schedule of all time. But you can't count out Belichick and Brady. They, they've lost to the other three best teams in their own conference. Uh, the Patriots today have a feeling they've never had before. Doubt. The Patriots lost to the Chiefs on Sunday, 23-16 in Foxborough. They now have three losses on the year. But if you notice, who they lost to is very important. They've lost to the Ravens, the Texans, and now the Chiefs. So those are the teams that are currently leading their divisions in the AFC at this very moment. So yes, they're 10-3 and three today. But they've lost to the three teams that matter in their own conference. Oh, but what about the Bills? But Brady had his worst game in 13 years in that game. The mantra that the Patriots fans feed off of, the 
to, well, we could still rely on Belichick and Tommy Terrific to get us there. That doesn't exist anymore. I'm out on New England. I'm out. They aren't real contenders to me. I'm sorry. The Patriots have progressively shown me more and more question marks as the year has gone on. When they struggled against Buffalo nearly, uh, you know, early in the year, I said, okay, not the end of the world. They still won. Buffalo, this Buffalo defense is really great. Brady looks a little weird, but they, they'll get back into things, whatever. Then when they lost to Baltimore, I said, wow, this wasn't even close. Uh, this, but Lamar Jackson, is he is the MVP, and this Ravens defense has played really well lately. John Harbaugh, everything like that. I can get it. Then... When they struggled against Houston, I said, all right, this is getting a little ridiculous. This is, uh, this is getting a little ridiculous now. Brady's got to show me something. It isn't weapons anymore. He's just not playing well at all. But Houston, I, I will give them credit. They, they get after it a little, and, and the secondary is improved, and I, I, get, I get it. Then they can't move the ball against Kansas City at home. That's scary. Kansas City's defense is not good. The Chiefs have virtually abandoned the idea of defense. And you can't move the ball against them. That's troubling. Even the people that say that we can't rule out the Patriots have to admit that they usually figure it out by now, right? They do. Even if they were struggling early, we're going into week 15 this is the time where playoff mode kicks in and Belichick start, cranks up the gears and he just can't. He can't. He doesn't have the talent. This Patriots offense just simply isn't talented enough. Brady is breaking down. They can't run the ball. They have no wide receivers or tight ends. The offensive line has been banged up all year. The talent on this roster just isn't there. It's not there. So I ask this question about New England all the time. Just ask yourself, what do they do well? They're pretty good in the secondary, I guess, but they've digressed as the schedule has gotten harder. What else? I, I got nothing. You can't help but be concerned about the Patriots today. No, I get that it wasn't the prettiest win for the Chiefs either. But the truth is, they won in Foxborough, despite that. They're getting exposed. The Chiefs played an ugly football game. Patrick Mahomes was solid, but not great. They didn't really run the football well. They, they ran the football, I think, for 75 yards all game. It's not like the Chiefs blew you away, but you lost anyway. Listen, I also want to bring this up, because we need to stop talking about this with sports. Don't give me the, the referees screwed the Patriots. They should have won if it weren't for those two bad calls. They, they, they got screwed. They, I'm going to stop you right there. Officiating never determines games. I, I'm tired of hearing that argument. Write it down and memorize it. Officiating never determines games. I'm tired of hearing the same argument.
just simply play well enough to not rely on a call like that. Yes, they were bad calls. They were absolutely bad calls. Yes, they, they shouldn't have blown the play dead after the Travis Kelsey fumble. Yes, Nikhil Harry was in bounds. So what? Welcome to the NFL. Calls get blown, teams get screwed, and you just have to find ways to deal with it. Unfortunately for Belichick, he kind of it kind of cost himself because there was no challenges. He couldn't challenge those. T- he right, because he blew the flag earlier. There were two. Cha- there were two challenges he already used. So he right, couldn't, he couldn't use it. The Patriots, after 19 years, have finally been welcomed to the club. The Browns and the Jets and the Saints, the Saints because of last year's NFC Championship game, are all sitting at a table in the corner welcoming you. Hey, over here! Come here! Come sit with us! We saved you a seat! (laughs) You got humbled in your own building, and you had two calls not go your way. Get over it, Mr. Six Super Bowls. Nobody feels sorry for you. Stop blaming the officials. You lost. You lost to the Chiefs because you couldn't move the ball. Maybe if your offense wasn't so pathetic, we'd be a little softer on the subject. But we all know that the ref didn't cost you the game. The fact that you couldn't move the ball against the 20th-ranked defense is why you lost the game. But go ahead and keep making excuses while your quarterback is digressing and the talent on your roster seems to be disappearing. Go ahead and keep making those excuses. I'm out on the Patriots this morning, I, and you should be too, truthfully. I'm out on them. Don't be scared. Say it. Say these very words. I'm out on the Patriots this morning. And you know you, know you want to. And it feels good once you let it out. <laughs> it feels good. You don't have to hold on to, well, I, 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 yeah, the Patriots don't look good, but, but Brady and Belichick and... Don't be scared. There will be people here to hold you. Say it. Get it off your chest. It's invigorating. It's great. Okay? I'm out on the Patriots this morning. I, I think they're not true contenders. So I should return that Patriots jersey I got you for Christmas. Oh, is that what you did? <laughs> nice. Oh, boy, oh, Dang. boy. Did you get me a Patriots jersey, too? I did. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, boy. They were on sale. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, this is fantastic. Uh, all right. No, nah, that's okay. That's okay, Monica. Jason Garrett, Jason Garrett fathead. We're getting that from Mike. There you go. We're getting that's you, right. We are getting you a Jason Garrett fathead. We are putting it right on, right on your ceiling. That way you look up every. That way you wake up in the morning every day, and there he is. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Well, listen. We are here today at 150 Motor Parkway in Hopog. We are here for Project Toy uh, from Gary Brown's Foundation. Uh, here for uh, the Family Service League. And t- listen, it's a toy drive. Come, uh, come on over, grab some food, donate a toy, make somebody's Christmas a little better today. Could take a selfie with Gary Brown. That's right. Gary's going to be try here. on a Super Bowl ring. I can't promise that. Can't promise I'm gonna that. I'm going to ask, but, but that's all I know. We'll, we'll see what he Get an what autograph. He's, the, but we'll have Gary on the air. He'll be signing autographs. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be a good time. Okay. Uh, Coming up next, 
David Fisdale got fired by the Knicks, and this is exactly what should be expected from a franchise like this. That's coming up next. It's the Haystack and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Good to have you back, Haystack Worldwide Sports Radio Network. See, there's got to be a little bit of awareness when it comes to franchises. Like, you have to understand where you are at a certain point, who you are. You have to understand all of those things. So if when the Knicks fired David Fisdale earlier last week, you're kind of getting the idea of, well, that's just a lack of organizational awareness. Now, listen, I'm not going to tell you that he did a great job. We can make that argument all day, whether he deserved to get fired or not. But the fact that the reasoning for Steve Mills and the reasoning for Scott Perry, who are the guys that are running the organization over there, making all the personnel decisions, they're telling me, well, I mean, well, we we should be competing with this. Really? Isn't your best player Marcus Morris? Like, it, he came off the bench last year for Boston. Did, give me a break. Your roster's full of young, early 20-somethings and a bunch of roster throwaways that nobody really wanted. You have the Taj Gibsons and the Bobby Portises. And, I mean, you got a bunch of guys that, to, essentially, you kind of got stuck with. You have 32 power forwards on your roster. How good do you want to, How good do you expect to be? Do we really think that this is David Fisdale's fault? And again, they can't even fire him right. David Fisdale led the practice the morning of the day he got fired. You can't even fire somebody right. You know, like I, I said this a little bit yesterday when we were talking to Ray. If you look at other organizations, other stable organizations like San Antonio and Milwaukee and the Clippers and guys like that, right? I never understood why franchises don't just mimic each other. You know, if you've ever played sports in your life, you've ever been told by a coach, if you had a lesson or whatever, you say, well, do it like the pros. It works for them. Obviously, you want to have your own twist on things, your own signature and everything like that, but you want to sort of mimic what they do because that's what got them to wherever they are. Why don't they do that with professional organizations? If you see that a stable organization doesn't fire their coach early in the year after he leads the practice that morning, then why would you? Pride? Why are you trying to outsmart the room? It makes no sense. Okay? Your job in sports is not going to be smarter than everybody else. It doesn't require you to be smarter than everybody it requires for you to be better at your job than everybody else, not smarter. So why are we talking about, well, David Fizza, he really he really wasn't coaching that team right. Really? What did you expect? You were, what, you're a four-win team today. Would you rather be a six- or a seven-win team? Is that why you fired him? It's just a lack of organizational awareness, and all of these dysfunctional franchises – do the exact same thing. 
All right, let's go to the news with our big J journalist, Monica Ray, here right. on a Tuesday. All right, so this kind of money blows my mind. Steven Stroudsburg and the Washington Nationals reached a, an agreement, a seven-year deal for $245 million. Right. I mean, that's crazy. $35 million a year. Two, yeah, and that surpasses the previous high, which was set by... Um, the Red Sox when they signed David Price David for 217. 217. Million. So Steven Strasburg broke the record. We're just throwing a ball, right? Total, I mean, he <laughs> he's he broke the record of total dollars, and he also broke the record. Excuse me. He also broke the record of average annual value, which was Zach Greinke when he made 34 million a year. So here's here's the thing. I. Jeff Passan yesterday said, uh, he said, I was talking to a source, and the source told me, yes, Strasburg signed seven years. And he said, all right, is it seven years, 175? Higher. Higher. 200? Higher. 220? Higher. Higher. He's like, when did free agency come back? Like, that's... He's like, that's amazing to me. But I never expected. Yeah. And you know what's funny about this is that the initial offer that the Yankees were reportedly going to offer Garrett Cole was seven years, 245. So now if you're Scott Boris, Garrett Cole's (laughs) agent, (laughs) you are going to be, you're going to say, well, now my guy is going to ask for over $300 million and he's going to get it. Yeah. That is the sound of Garrett Cole's bank account after Strasburg got his contract. Yeah. If you're Garrett Cole today and you saw Steven Strasburg get that kind of money, you are jumping for joy because your price tag skyrocketed. It is going through the roof. But Strasburg, listen, I'll tell you what, Steven Strasburg is probably worth that money. Postseason experience and the way he pitched late in the year and all of that stuff. If Steven Strasburg's healthy, he's a top 10 pitcher that, in all of baseball. And that's what you that's what needs to happen. He's got, he just has to stay healthy. This he's got to stay healthy. This is a year where he mostly stayed healthy and he was extremely effective and was the biggest, maybe the biggest reason why they won the World yeah. Series. Obviously, World Series MVP, but he was now, so big in the postseason. Now, here's the thing. Uh, this deal more than likely kills their chances of getting back Anthony Rendon, which I think is going to sure. hurt them. sure. But they're going to explore the trade. There was a report this morning that they're interested in Chris Bryant. So it's there's going to be a lot of moving pieces. I think there's going to be uh, – this offseason is going to be fun. It's going to be very, very fun. A lot of moving parts. What's next? All right. So remember Spygate with Bill Belichick oh, in 2009? I remember Spygate. I do. I remember well, guess Spygate. what? It's back. It's really? It's the 2019 version. So Bill Belichick is denying and speaking out about allegations that – his staff uh, took some video at the Cincinnati Bengals Nice. Game. So he's a little sneaky. Nice. You know? I don't know. What's going to happen Well, because there? what were they... Uh, Do you remember in 2007? What were, they, what were they saying when they they were doing like a filmography or something like yeah, that? They, of, yeah, it's called of Do Your Job. Do some Your kind of Job. reality show. Where they do... That's um, a whole lot of Who Shot John. Where they... What is it? They, they, they follow like some coach around and they... Yeah. Like, That's bogus. But remember, what a load of garbage. I've never heard of that before. Is it like an – I think from what I heard, it was like an in-house thing. Like like they use it at practice and they use it like during camps and everything like that. Yeah. 
Stop it. Allegedly. Stop it. I hope he has a a big pocketbook because in 2007, he was personally fined $500,000. And lost a draft pick. And lost his first round draft pick that year. This is ridiculous. And the team was fined $250,000. So. Yeah, well, they'll be in full compliance and everything is just ridiculous. Yeah. Listen, I'm not going to tell you whether it's true or whether it's not true. It's probably true. I mean, let's face it. Well, listen, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna insinuate anything. But what I am I gonna am. say is, when you are, when you do something like that, how do, you, how can you expect for people not to get that feeling, right? right. But they're when, sneaky. Once, once you've committed a crime, once you've committed a crime, right? And this is pretty much in anything. Once you've committed a crime, right? Any suspicious activity of anything, you could be picking up your laundry, right? If you see something, people say are gonna, something. People are going to see your face, and as soon as you walk into their grocery store, their first thing is, I hope we don't rob it. Exactly. And you put that on yourself. That's nobody else's fault. That's you. They're so sneaky. if Bill Belichick is actually, and here's the thing. I just spent a couple of minutes on organizational awareness, right? You have to be aware of who you are and where you are. Right. If you are the New England Patriots and you've gotten nabbed for... Spygate and spying on practices and sending film crews to other teams' practice facilities. And Deflategate. And Deflategate and all that stuff. What makes you think in your right mind that you should send a film crew to another team's practice facility to film a documentary? Well, I, that's just I, nobody is that stupid. I'm I, sorry, nobody's that dumb. I love his comment that he made. Um, Apparently, somebody Tuesday is that morning. dumb because somebody made that decision. He said, uh, <laughs> "But we don't knowingly, intentionally want to do anything across the line." Oh, what does that even mean? That makes everybody feel better. Uh, Give me a break. It, it means. Well, it's also interesting. It's yeah. a is, bunch of hoopla. I'm reading here is one member of the Patriots actually video crew actually tried to get rid of the video. But according to ESPN.com, the cameraman who took the video for the Patriots asked NFL security if he could delete the footage and have the whole situation be forgotten. But instead, the league ended up confiscating and getting the video. Oops. Yeah. Duh. Thank you. All right. What's next? All right. Well, he's on the naughty list. Very much so. Yeah. He will not be getting a toy today at today's toy drive. No. He will not be. Nope. We will deny him one. He'll get a deflated football. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we have one. So, <laughs> so the uh, the NBA announced on Monday that it denied the Rockets uh, the protest of their 135 to 133 doubleheader right. game. Mm-hmm. And so they're not counting James Harden's uh, dunk. And the reason, I think, is kind of... Interesting. It says the, that the Rockets had sufficient time to address this during the game and during both double overtime. Well, they so did. Why are they crying about it now? Exactly. They why did. Why didn't they do something? Yeah, at they that got time? Scr- That's what I said before. You know, referees. Okay, officiating never determines a game. Okay, it never is the sole proprietor of what happens in that game. Never. I mean, why never. wait? Never. Why wait till after the fact? Well, that's what. I, that's what I mean. Is we're sense. gonna we're uh, well the Rockets tried to go at it from the beginning, so they were playing the game under protest, right? They ended up losing the game by two points, so they thought they had a case. Right. I'm sorry. Maybe if your shooting guard didn't take 50 shots a game and miss 80 percent of them, maybe it would have been in the game. Ouch. I- I'm like, ouch. That's but that's <laughs> my deal. Is the Rockets are complaining about it? A basket they should have had. Be more efficient. Miss less shots. 
Like you, you have two of the most high, highest usage rate guys in the entire league. Russell Westbrook and James Harden miss more shots than anybody, any other combination I've ever seen. Don't give me the fact that this one dunk determined the outcome of a game. It's the fact that yeah. you miss seventy percent of your shots. Again, give me a break. I'm I, the I'm a hundred percent with the NBA here, one hundred percent. But that's the news with our. Big J journalist Monica Ray here on a Tuesday. We are absolutely (laughs) loaded today. Uh, All right, so coming up next, I'm going to give you my top 10 NFL teams. I do this every single week. uh, And you are not going to believe where I have one team. They've actually taken a little bit of a jump. That's coming up next. The Haystack of the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. The Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Worldwide Sports Radio presents the, 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 the Haystack Show Yo. with Mike Guido. Our number two. It's the Haystack and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Mike Guido, Evan Mazza, my producer, Monica Ray, Big J, journalist. Our number two. Uh, all right, I do this. We have Gary Brown in a few minutes. Uh, I want to do this. I do this every single Tuesday uh, after week 14, top 10 NFL teams. Here we go. Okay, number 10. Uh-oh, what happened? Evan, so- are sorry. you there? We're waiting. Sorry. We're Evan, waiting. are you awake? Hold on, hold on. We're waiting. Jeopardy. Here we go. All right, let's do it over. All right. All right. Mike Guido's top 10 NFL countdown. Number 10. New appearance on the list. Uh Uh-oh. The Tennessee Titans. I'm actually very impressed. And here's my thing. Quietly, over the past seven weeks for Tennessee, since Ryan Tannehill has taken over at quarterback, they've gone 6-1. and I don't know what more they would want them to. Uh, what I would want them to do. They're sitting today at eight and five through thirteen weeks. I think they're in prime position for a playoff spot. They're tied for the AFC South division lead today. I actually have a little bit more confidence in them than I do have in Houston. And here's my thing with this: defensively, they're playing. It's never been about their defense. I think they have a developing true number one receiver in AJ Brown. De- they run the football incredibly well with Derrick Henry. Tennessee right now looks like, and I hate to say it, they're the team I have the most confidence in in that division. Tennessee looks like a playoff team today. They're number 10. Number 9. Buffalo. Uh, this is a team that I think is really developed as a legitimate AFC powerhouse. I really do believe that. They are never going to outscore you. They never are. But defensively, they're going to shut you down pretty much every single week. This is the top two or three defense in the entire league. They are incredible at stopping the pass. They have one of the best secondaries in the entire league. They get after the quarterback. Uh, And as far as offensively, they're never going to blow you out, but they have actually improved. Josh Allen's become a little bit more accurate in his development. They run the football incredibly well. Devin Singletary... Their late-round draft pick at running back is actually pretty dynamic 
can do a lot of different things. They've gotten a lot better at wide receiver. John Brown has quietly had a really nice year. Right now, today, the Buffalo Bills, they're securing a playoff spot. The Buffalo Bills are number nine. Number eight. Green Bay. Here's my deal with them. The, (laughs) The Green Bay Packers have kind of wavered lately, okay? Aaron Rodgers is still Aaron Rodgers. But this has become, their identity, I think, has shifted. This is a much more power-running team than what most people expected. Aaron Jones is really carrying the weight as a running back uh, in this offense. Listen, I, I'm not... Google Fi, a phone? We have ads. It's great. <laughs> um, but Green Bay right now, as far as defensively, their free agents are kind of coming back down to earth. Preston and Zadarius Smith are they're still getting after it, but not at the same rate that they were early in the year. Their young rookies are kind of getting back into their rookie mistake kind of phase. Right now, Green Bay, still a good team, still a good foundation, great quarterback. I'm I'm wavering a little bit, but I still think they're really good. Uh, Green Bay at number eight. Number seven. New England. Uh, Like I said, I've soured on them completely. I'm not sure they're true contenders. It's the, what do they do well? Now listen, I understand they're ten and three. They, but the the three teams they've lost to are the three division leaders in the AFC. Lost to Baltimore, lost to Houston, lost to Kansas City. They're all leading their division. <laughs> I, I I hate to break it to you, but if the P- Patriots went into the playoffs today, every single game that they'd go into with these division winners, they'd have the inferior quarterback. Tom Brady's not playing good football. That's just that simple. He's not hitting. He's not making accurate throws. He doesn't have great wide receivers. They don't run the football well. The offensive line is banged up. Maybe Gary Brown could come out of retirement and help them out a little bit. Gary. But in all in, in all seriousness, they and their defense that we thought was historically good to begin the year, they've played tougher opponents late in the year, and they're they're just an average defense. Nothing crazy. So. Give me New England right now at number seven. I'm not dropping them out completely, but I, real contenders, I can't tell you that they are because I don't believe that. New England at number seven. Number six. They have been stapled into the, as the sixth best team in the NFL, I think, pretty much the entire season, the Minnesota Vikings. I think that as far as they are concerned, Kirk Cousins has played incredible football ever since his rough start. Their offensive line has played incredibly well as of late. They're doing a lot of offensive production without Adam Thielen, who's their best receiver. Dalvin Cook's playing great football at running back. This is a defense that is loaded with stars. They're well coached. Mike Zimmer's a great coach uh, uh, going forward. Right now, I view Minnesota as the favorite for the NFC North. I don't see them as a wild card team. Wouldn't be surprised if they made a late push, maybe to get into the NFC title game. Right now, Minnesota, I view them number six. We're in the top five, number five. Uh, They took a bad loss this week, Seattle. Uh, Here's my deal with them. Russell Wilson is going to carry this roster. They they are an incredibly good football team. They control time of possession. They run the football incredibly well, but they took a big hit. Rashad Penny's out for the year. The one thing I wish Seattle had on the offensive side of the football is I wish they were able to protect Russell Wilson more. This is an offensive line that is really not that good. But, uh, listen, defensively, they get after the quarterback. Jadavion Clowney, Ziggy Ansah, LJ Collier, guys like that. They're, 
They're getting after the quarterback, and this secondary has been revitalized when they got Quandre Diggs from Detroit. Listen, Seattle's good, but they do have games like this against the Rams where their true talent shows. This is not an overly talented team. It's a Russell Wilson elevated team. Very, rare, It's very rare that that happens. Right now, Seattle sits at number five. Number four. Kansas City. Uh, listen, you beat New England and Foxborough. That's got to say something. It does. Okay, Patrick Mahomes did not play great, but your defense played pretty well. It did. New England couldn't move the football against you. Right now, I view Kansas City. They're kind of getting back into the swing of things. Here's the thing about them. If they can actually run the football and control time of possession, they're going to be in good shape. I, I, I'm going to sit here and actually tell you that Kansas City will be able to... They can, I think, control time of possession through the air. Not, It isn't common. It really isn't. But they've got a ton of talent at wide receiver. They protect, protect Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes is one of the most talented quarterbacks I've ever seen in my life. Kansas City right now sits at number four. And they've pretty much, again, I said it earlier, they've pretty much abandoned the idea of defense. They are looking to outscore you, and they do it more often than not. All right, we're in the top three, number three. The New Orleans Saints. I am very, I don't want to say iffy, but I'm not as high on them as I used to be. It's because this defense is so inconsistent. Okay, they have one week where they look like the best defense in football. The next week they look like they can't stop me, Monica, Evan, and Gary Brown. It's just, <laughs> they just, it just doesn't, they're very inconsistent. They are. Because, listen, Drew Brees, Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, that offensive line, Sean Payton coaching, they're going to put up points. I'm not worried about that. But their pass rush can waver. Cameron Jordan, Marcus Davenport, guys like that, their defensive line can get a little weak. In the secondary, they don't have a number two corner. I'm not in on Eli Apple. Right now, New Orleans today, great football team. I think they gave us the game of the year with San Francisco, but it was in the Superdome. They had the opportunity to win that game. They couldn't take advantage of it. There are holes on this roster, and it's showing. They don't have a number two corner, and they don't have a number two wide receiver. That's what's killing them right now. I put New Orleans right now at number three. Number two. San Francisco 49ers. I, I I hate to break it to you, but they are just so schematically brilliant, I can't I can't even deal. They really are. <laughs> Kyle Shanahan is the best young coach in the game. I, we're looking at Jimmy Garoppolo as a guy who's, uh, to me, nothing more than an average quarterback, but, I, I mean, he doesn't look like one because Kyle Shanahan puts him in a position that elevates him to no end. They run the football well. Matt Breida, Raheem Mostert, Tevin Coleman... I mean, they, they put together games where no you can't prepare for anybody because somebody different kills you every week. Emmanuel Sanders had a million catches for a million yards this week, and he's their third best receiver. I mean, it's just like there's, there's no way you can prepare for San Francisco. They're so schematically brilliant. They're incredible at home. They get after the quarterback like crazy. They, I think they have the best front seven in all of sports. Nick Bosa and DeForest Buckner and D. Ford and Quan Alexander and Fred Warner and Eric Armstead and Solomon Tom. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on with who they have talent-wise in their front seven. San Francisco right now, best team in the NFC, second best team in the NFL. All right, Evan, where's our drum roll? 
from Mike Guido's number one NFL team. That's not a drum roll. I know. It's a Raven <laughs> because the Baltimore Ravens today, I think, are the Spoiler best team in the alert. NFL. The Baltimore Ravens today, I, again, they have the MVP in Lamar Jackson who is just blowing everybody out of the water. They're beating people from the ground. Mark Ingram, Gus Edwards, Justice Hill, Lamar Jackson. They are, uh, they are running the ball for over 200 yards a game. That's unheard of, okay? They hold the ball for 40, 45 minutes of the game. They don't even give you the opportunity to take a lead, okay? The Ravens don't always score a lot of points, but you never do. You Against them, you never do. They have the best secondary in the league. Marcus Peters, ever since he got traded to Baltimore, has been the best corner in football. I mean, this uh, the secondary doesn't let up anything. Do I wish they maybe had a little bit better pass rushers on the edge? Yes, but they do still get after the quarterback. They put pressure on it. They don't have that elite guy. But right now, Baltimore, they're as well-coached as any team in the entire league. John Harbaugh has been fantastic. Baltimore today, I have more confidence uh, I have more confidence in them rather more than anybody else in the entire NFL. San Francisco and Baltimore, if we got a Super Bowl of those teams where they've already played this year, sign me up, punch my ticket. I, I don't care. Okay, if the if it's a thousand dollars a seat, I'm in. I'll I'll wow. buy the trip to Miami myself. But right now, Baltimore sits at number one, and that makes Evan a very happy man. So just to recap for you: Tennessee at ten, Buffalo at nine, Green Bay at eight, New England at seven, Minnesota at six, Seattle at five, Kansas City at four, New Orleans at three, San Francisco at two, and the Baltimore Ravens are at one. How'd I do? That's some list. I'm, I'm a little disappointed that the Cowboys aren't in the they top can't ten. Be on but there, right? They're six and seven. I, they're terrible. I understand. The Cowboys nor the Eagles you know. can't be on there right now. You know, there's always a chance. <laughs> no, no, uh, no Houston. Houston, no Houston, obviously. No Houston, Houston, I think, was probably the first team out for me. No Houston. No. Now, here's the thing. I think they could still win the division. I still think they're favorites to win the division. But the way Tennessee's playing right now, I mean, you can't argue it. They're six and one in their last seven games. No, they're play, they're playing great, and Ryan Tannehill, Ryan Tannehill is probably the front runner for comeback. Player He's going to get an extension. And he'll get an extension. Like Tennessee's going to going to sign him long term to be their franchise quarterback. Miami gave up on him. I, I, we never would have thought that Ryan Tannehill would come in there and be their franchise quarterback. Even though I do want to give credit to the people that were saying this, when Ryan Tannehill was out playing Marcus Mariota in training camp. There were a lot of people that said that, but they gave Mariota the job anyway. Maybe this was something that Tennessee did expect that nobody else did. Rams still Rams still out of the top ten as of now, right now. Yeah, the Rams are climbing because late in the year they're making kind of a push, but I get they're th- they're the third best team in their own division. I, I don't know if the, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. Like it, it's just it's a little bit too late for the Rams for me. I would mention Pittsburgh, but I understand. I understand. Again, Pittsburgh, I understand. like, I think Pittsburgh is so incredibly talented in that if they, you and I had this discussion yesterday, Evan, if they had Big Ben, I think they'd be one of the two or three best teams in the NFL because they're they're winning games with a third-string quarterback that used to be a duck caller. I mean, I'm just, I, I, I think they're not good enough at quarterback. That's my problem with no, them. No, that's, that's why I understand it, I mean, but they are playing and they're offensively, playing, they're, they're banged up. They have no James Conner, no Juju Smith-Schuster. I mean, they're just, they're banged up. 
But defensively, I think they're stellar. They have a great offensive line. I think Mike Tomlin has been the best. He's probably coach of the year up to this point. But Pittsburgh right now isn't good good enough at quarterback. I'm not sure they will be. I, like, I don't know if they'll ever make that top 10 just because I don't think they're good enough at quarterback. And the Raiders and the Raiders are pretty much out, I guess. For yeah, Raiders, Colts, same Colts. deal. I, yeah. I will say about the Raiders, I'm not, I, you know, it's disappointing. It's disappointing that they've lost three in a row. But they still they still did a, a really good job this year considering considering everything. You know, I think for the Raiders right now, it's just to finish the season strong and, and you know, go into next year because they got some pieces there. They got some things you like on that team. Right. No, I, I agree. All right. Coming up next, we're absolutely loaded today. Gary Brown, former Super Bowl champion offensive lineman for the Green Bay Packers, joins us having a great little function here today at Cafe Ray's Project Toy for the Family Service League. Uh, So again, we promote it as much as we can. Come down here, grab a sandwich, donate a toy today, make somebody's holiday season Maybe just a little bit better. Gary Brown coming up next right after this. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're listening to the Haystack Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's good to have you back. Haystack, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Mike, Evan, Monica here on a Tuesday. I'd like to welcome somebody who is actually very, pretty much solely responsible for what's going on here today at the Cafe 150 Motor Parkway here in Hoppock. Gary Brown, former offensive lineman, Super Bowl champion for the Green Bay Packers. Gary, we appreciate the time, man. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. So it, let's talk a little bit about your fa- Before we get into your career, before we get into your thoughts on, on the NFL and everything like that, tell us a little bit about your foundation. What are you getting involved in? I have my own uh, nonprofit organization, uh, the Gary Big Brown 68 Foundation, which has a couple of different layers with it. Um, underneath that is also Dream 68 is about mentoring, and it's teaching underprivileged uh, kids and kids that come up with challenging backgrounds that there is an uh, opportunity to dream and follow your dreams. So I take a lot of pride in doing that. I do a lot of work with the kids from the shelters, and that just seems down and out. Um, but my overall organization is about helping anybody and their family. Right. Um, I think there was people there that helped me even if they didn't know they were helping me. Um, so I just try and, and give back and be a part of that. Right. Monica, you've got a... Uh... Yeah, so thanks for being on, Gary. It was so great to meet you at your uh, Thanksgiving fundraiser. And I know you grew up here on Long Island in Brentwood. What was it like growing up in Brentwood? What were your favorite things to do... I grew up in a very unique part of Brentwood. I grew up right off of Wicks Road, which is up the block, right. North Brentwood. And I grew up between um, South, North Junior High Middle School, well, it's a North Middle School now, and St. Luke's Church. And there's like a little two-block radius in there. And um, back in the 70s and the 80s, across one road was predominantly one nationality. Across the other road was predominantly another. And we were the mixed crew. And we stuck together like a band of brothers. And... I wouldn't have my upbringing any other way because it taught me um, so many life lessons growing up there. We competed in every sport, in hockey, lacrosse, football, basketball, handball. Um, we had challenges within our own you know, block area, and we took pride in that. Um, being in, from Brentwood, um, whenever I'm out of state or out of town, someone asks me, where are you from? I make sure I tell them I'm from Brentwood, New York, not just New York, because it's very important that people know where I come from I'm proud of where I come from, 
And if I can do it coming from Brentwood, anybody can do it coming from Brentwood. So obviously we know you played football. Did you play any other sports? Yes, I love playing basketball. I played a little baseball until I got hit with a pitch, then that was it for me. It's <laughs> <laughs> usually all it takes, right? You take one little donker to the elbow and then you're done. It depends on when it happens. And I was at that age where I was in there and I thought I was cool and I got hit with a pitch and I'm like, yep, this one's not for me. But I, I loved playing basketball. I just happened to be better at football. All right, good. Yeah. And I know your mom and dad are here, which is so great. And you mentioned to me when we talked last week that your mom was a very strong woman in your life and had certain rules in the house when you grew up. What were those rules? Oh, those rules were um, you can't do what everybody else does. This is my house. You're going to live by my rules. And, and, you know, as a child, you're like, well, why can't I stay out late with everybody else? Or why can't I do that? And then looking back on life, you say, thank God I didn't. Because, you know, you see how those things, those laps in judgment can change a kid's life. And without the structure and without the discipline, without doing the right thing, you know, you're leaving your kid acceptable to whatever the streets have to offer. Right. And she refused to let us go down that road. She had rules that every kid in her school, in her household, would have to go to college at least two years. Then you can make your own decisions. I think that was one that probably saved me from a life of doing bad. Because if I never went to Nassau Community College, I would have never saw the opportunity or the dream that could possibly come true with playing football. Mm -hmm. So um, we owe her a lot of things. So, so your mom kept you on Santa's nice list, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was always on Santa's nice list. And then um, what were your pl favorite places to hang out? I know you like some music. We talked a little bit about rap music, and, and I shared some things with you. And w Would you get out there on the dance floor? I love to Gary dance. Gary Brown, get down. <laughs> I love to dance. I, I'm not like you. I can't rap. I can't sing. <laughs> um, I think I sound good, but I don't think anybody else would. I don't know. <laughs> I love music. I, I love all kinds of music. Um, just a, a fun fact, my roommate in Green Bay was Earl Dotson, and he's from Texas. And me and him are really good friends. And uh, he said, when we were rooming for games, he said, Gary, i got to tell you a secret. And I'm like, what's that? He was like, i got to listen to country music before I go to bed at night. <laughs> and I'm like, that's fine. Put on your, at the time, your disc in and walk. And he was like, no, I need to listen to it out loud. So I slowly became a country music fan. <laughs> <laughs> See, By default, right? Yeah, you had, yeah, you yeah. had no choice but to like it at that point. So you talked a lot about your upbringing, uh, Gary. And, uh, and uh, you know, I'm going to try and transition a little bit into your NFL career. What a part your child, uh, you know, what part of your childhood do you believe prepared you for what was coming in the NFL? I think just being true to yourself, being honest with yourself and, and, and taking nothing from nobody yeah and you transition that into football um i did personally i i tried out for national community college to play a defensive lineman growing up nobody wants to be the offensive lineman nobody <laughs> runs out and says um anthony munoz no they're like you know you want to be a quarterback a receiver yeah i want to be lawrence taylor like yeah. that right so when i went to Nassau, i tried out i didn't make the team and uh, i was heartbroken and the coach says, Brown, where were you? And I'm like, what are you talking about? I wasn't on the list. He was like, but I didn't cut you. So he said, we see something in you. We're not sure what, but if you were willing to play offensive line, you could make the team. And I'm like, does that mean I made the team? And I'm like, because I'll play whatever you want me to play. And the aspect of team is that, that that word is so powerful. A lot of people look over it. Team means everything from the superstars down to the very whatever you can contribute. You're only right. as strong as your weakest link. I was willing 
to do my part because growing up in Brentwood, you always had to do your part, no matter what it was. If you weren't, my younger brother was a much better athlete than I was in all sports, you know. And, and there was times I had to swallow my ego because he would get picked before me, and that's right. that's a tough pill to swallow. But I learned that at a young age. Not a problem. I could contribute in another way, and that kind of made me who I am. I took that grittiness of being from Brentwood, taking nothing from any nobody, and um, playing my position to the best of my ability, whether it's going to make the person behind me better, the person next to me better, or my team better, and I just carried that along the way. Now, do you? I, my next question is actually going to be kind of tied into exactly what you just said. Do you think that that kind of gets lost today? Like with, with Kern, and I, obviously I don't want you to call anybody out. I wouldn't ask you to do that, but... It, do you think that it, whether it's football, whether it's the NBA, whether it's college, whatever it is, do you think that that sort of selfless mentality that you had kind of gets lost in the game today? I think this generation, it's, it's not about the players, the generation. Now the people have the power to be their own superstar. You could be with a, a camera phone and you could not play a sport, sing, have no talent, whatever, and you can become an overnight sensation. Everybody's chasing that goal. Right. Um, back when I played, there weren't cameras like that. There weren't limelights like that. Like, you had to earn. You, you were a superstar before anybody knew you were a superstar. Right. Now these players are, 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 it's a lot of it is look at me, look at me, look what I did. Look, Odell Beckham was talking about leaving already. I don't mean, I'm not calling him out, but because you didn't get enough balls thrown to you, what, you know, play your position. Do your job the best that you can, and things will come. Be patient. Right. I think patience is something that's lost in the sport. Everybody wants overnight success. Everybody wants to get paid right away. Everybody wants to jump over anybody to get there. And that's not what this is about. You put in your work. You put in the effort. You put in your time. You get your bruises. And if everything goes right, on the other side of that comes the payday, comes the, 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 the fame and the fortune and all the other stuff you're looking for. Now, take us back to draft day. Because 1994, fifth round, 148th overall, uh, you got drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers, who wasn't who you played for, right? So uh, tell us what draft day was like and kind of the process leading into it. So this is a, I'll make it a quick story. I, my, at Georgia Tech my senior year, I hurt my knee halfway through the season. Right. Told me um, you're not going to finish the season, your career's over. Unless you take surgery, then you might be able to come back for the last two games. And I'm like, surgery for two games? I wasn't thinking NFL yet. I had nothing, you know, I, had, I was enjoying college. It wasn't. Right. So I was like, I'm not going to take surgery for the last two games. And then I um, was able, I rehabbed well, I didn't take surgery. And I'm like, coach, I think I'm good enough to play the last game. And they were like, really? So I happened to be going against a guy named Mitch Davis from Georgia. Yeah. High draft pick. He needed a half a sack to get the school record or something like that. And I played really good against him. Shut him down. Shut him out. And I started getting a little buzz about the NFL, a possible walk-on. And there were so many other players. Dorsey Levins, William Bell, Bobby Rodriguez. All these guys on the team were supposed to get drafted high from Georgia Tech. Right. Came the first. At this time, draft was a couple of days long. Um... The first day went by, nobody from Georgia Tech got drafted. So I'm like, well, I'm definitely not getting drafted because I'm supposed to be behind all of these guys. So I was in my bed sleeping (laughs) when I I got a phone call from uh, a coach saying, we're going to draft you. And at the time, I'm like, 
this is not real. You know, this is somebody playing a prank on me because that's what we do. You yeah. S- you prank somebody and then you play it in the locker room. Everybody laughs at you. Right. Coming from New York, you don't want to be laughed at. Or it was a bad country music song, right? <laughs> so I didn't, uh, so I didn't, I, I didn't take the call. I hung up and then my agent called and said, somebody's trying to get in contact with you. It's the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I'm like, really? So the whole process went through. I talked to a coach and I talked to the staff and they said, yep, Gary, you're the pick. We're drafting you. You just got drafted fifth round. And I'm like, cool. But now we're talking about uh, mid-90s. Television wasn't live like it is now. So I'm waiting to see it on ESPN. I got my tea. I didn't call my parents. I didn't call anybody. I'm sitting in my dorm room like, was this real or was this a joke? So then probably about 10 minutes later, I see my name scroll across the bottom of the screen. I'm like, I guess this is real. And it was like a, it was a surreal moment. I had a moment to myself, um, overjoyous and, and, and overwhelmed. And then I shared the news with my family and friends, and, and the rest was history. Wow. So let me, um, let me ask you this, because I, I always get fascinated with this conversation. How much was your signing bonus when you got drafted? <laughs> Not like it was now. I, I, I played, that's, that's I played 20 years way too early. I got, <laughs> I, I don't know, maybe $100,000. That's crazy. And now it would be probably... Two million. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's what it's. Uh, yeah, I think I'm. Uh, where I'm reading here is a fir- uh, the last player in the. Uh, yeah, the last player taken in the first round is guaranteed a four-year, nine and a half million dollar contract, and the uh, Mister Irrelevant in the draft, the 256 pick, is guaranteed to make roughly 70 grand. <laughs> so it's it is amazing how that's. Uh, how that has evolved. Do you think players are overpaid? No. And the reason I say that is because I made that comment my rookie year, and all the veterans in there went ballistic. And they took (laughs) me into a meeting room, and they sat me down and told me why. Um, I looked at it as, I love playing sports. I'll do this for free. And they said, this is not for fun anymore. It's your career. That's where I started separating the business and pleasure side of it but um they let they explained to me you one play away from never playing football again now how much is that worth to you you know and they said you got to take care of your family you got to do this you got to do that people are don't get me wrong there's guys that make a lot of money and, and and i've seen a lot of money but there's also another 53 men on 52 men on that roster and not everybody's making that kind of money right and, and so for the guy that's playing for multi-million dollars, there's also somebody playing for $100,000. And that's not enough to to carry your family forever to have to change a career. And, you know, so I I don't think it's, you know, they make an obscene amount of money, but there's also players that don't make enough. So you you actually uh, brought up a good point because I've actually, I'm trying to get a well-rounded perspective on these situations, right? Because I listen, I've I'm not gonna lie to you. I've ba- I've sit here, I, I've sat here, and I've bashed players that do holdouts and players that don't show up to training camp for money and all of that stuff. Because I feel like that I feel like there's a selfish element to it. You're you're a former NFL player. Do, where do you stand on that? Do you get it? I get it, and I didn't agree with it initially. I didn't. Um, when I first looked at it, I'm like, you signed a contract for four years or five years or seven years, you got your money, you play those seven years. Don't come to me in year four or five saying I'm going to hold out for the next two years because I feel I overpaid. I, I overplayed my contract. I do get it. 
But on the reverse side of it, when you start playing bad, they don't owe you anything. They could cut you at any moment. So right. why, you know, you could be seven years into your contract and your second year, they're like, you're not living up to it. I could send you home. Mm-hmm. I could send you anywhere I want to send you. So the contracts only say, I am obligated to play for this team. I can't quit, but they could fire me at any time. That's what a contract says. Right. And if you look at the plain English of it, that's not a fair contract. You know, right. we agreed on amount. That if I make the team, this is what I'm going to make. But now it's up to you to choo- pick and choose and use me as trade bait. To so for the players that are lucky enough to be in that position, why not? So like I said, you're one play away from never playing again and not getting another contract. So so were you ever in that situation where you had a teammate that was doing something like that? And how if like if you were, how did that affect the locker room? Did players like it? Um, or did players understand it? I'll rephrase it. I'm from an old school era. The right. locker room took care of itself. Oh, uh, okay. We, we didn't allow players to conduct or, or, or dictate what either you're in the locker room or you're not. If you have an, a contract agreement, then you're not in the locker room. You and your agent go sit with the coaches and management and you deal with it. But if you're in the locker room, all of that stuff, all of that talk stops. But that's a different era. Right. Today... You know, who's ever the most famous kind of runs the locker room. There's players that are more powerful than coaches. That's not the way I grew up playing football. When I grew up playing football, the coaches said it, we listened, and the locker room took care of itself. If you didn't act right within our code of conduct, if you didn't, if you were bringing a bad or negative spotlight, there's ways and there's hate. Now, I don't want to use the word hazing, but there's things that will be done to tell you this is going to keep going on unless you start going along with the system. How do, you, how do you view that now? Because you have, like, you have guys like Odell, and I'm not really going to include Antonio Brown, but you have guys like Odell, you have guys like Baker Mayfield, and uh, you know, some of the more outspoken, to, you know, per se, players that are out there. Do, how do you feel about it? Like, was that a thing in the, in the mid-'90s? It was, but leadership. So we had people like Reggie White and Sean Jones and Brett Favre of guys who would – kind of crack the whip and pull you to the side and be like, listen, this is how things are done here. This is what we expect from you. And if you're not going to do that, you're not going to be here long. And there's a lack of that today. There is a lack of leadership in the locker rooms. There's a lot of self, a lot of individuals, a lot of people looking out for me, me, me. Right. And that's the problem. That's an Odell Beckham wouldn't have survived 10 years ago. Um, even with Strahan, he wouldn't have stood for that. Like Strahan and the other players on the giant teams were – players that kept that locker room in order. They didn't allow things like that. But once that nucleus broke up and different Tuck went here and Strahan retired and this guy went there, Manning's not really a leadership kind of personality. I love him. A lot of people don't like him. I love Manning. I I could play for him all day. But he's not that leadership personality that's going to pull you aside and tell you to act right, if you know what I mean. So I think they're missing that, and a lot of teams are missing that. So that's... um a pretty serious rock on your finger there, uh, Gary. Yeah, that man. thing is probably worth more than all of my possessions combined. Um, so you won a Super Bowl with yes. the Green Bay Packers. Everybody, uh, I would say like 99.9% of the earth doesn't know what that's like. Huh. Did you go to Try Disneyland? Enlighten us. <laughs> I, um, Super Bowl, wow. I think it's one of those, another surreal moment. Like you do, I was on a plane coming back home. 
hanging out with Jim McMahon saying, wow, we just won a Super Bowl. He was like, yeah, it's going to set in. It's going to take a couple of days to set in. Mm -hmm. And it really did. Um, winning at that time, you try and take it all in. You look around and you try and enjoy every moment and want to remember everything, but you can't. It's just so much going on. It, it was an honor to be there. It was an honor to be on a team and, and to have started half that season to help them get there. I did not physically play in the Super Bowl. Right after the Super Bowl, I had knee surgery. Right. But um, to be there, to, to know that I'm a part of that and I did my part as a team when they needed me was, was a pretty uh, pretty humbling moment. Um, winning that, And then the, the cast that I won it with. If you look at that cast, there were superstars on the team, but there were only superstars there. And, and that, that lets me realize how true the team word means. That It means everything. Because... Antonio Freeman, he had those couple of good years. Yeah. Darcy Levins had those couple of good years. Um, Edgar Bennett had those couple of good years. Right. You know, there was only one or two players that can that left there that tried to do. Brett Favre had an amazing time after with the Jets and then with the Minnesota, but not many players left that team. Their careers kind of stayed there and they finished there and it was short there. Right. But that was a special group of guys that everybody scrapped and did their part down. My job, my first year in the NFL was kickoff return, extra points. But more importantly, my job was to Monday through Friday to get the starters ready to play. Right. That's harder than playing the game. I'm fighting really? with Reggie White every day. You know? <laughs> oh, I'm going against Gilbert Brown every day. Yeah. And they're hating it. And, they're, and I'm getting patted on the back by the coaches saying, keep it up because this is what they're going to see on Sunday. And they're telling me to slow down. But to make my team better, I have to get better. For me to get better, you got to get better. And that's what everybody play their role. Not everybody can even play that. Now you Not everybody can play Robin to Batman. You yeah, know? right. It, it, you got to have that personality. Now, you, you went up against Reggie White quite a bit in practice. Yes. So there are a, I would say, it's actually larger than most people think. There's actually a large group of people that would say Reggie White is the best defensive player of all time. Can you make that argument? You went up against him. I can. And the more importantly is because I played against a lot of guys that, that are in that conversation. And, um, you know, I played against Bruce Smiths. I played against Junior Seau's. I played against um, great linebackers and linemen. And by far, Reggie White is so deceiving of a strong not fast, but quick man that's unbelievably smart mm -hmm. to get all of that in one package. The only person I compared that gave me my biggest fight was uh, John Randall from Minnesota. John wow. Randall, mm -hmm. I, I took my hat off to him. He is a, a special kind of person, 100 miles an hour from beginning to end. But um, Reggie is probably one of the best people I've ever seen do it. Now, is there like – I hate to put you on the spot, but – we're all fascinated with today's NFL, right? NFL ratings are going up and up and up and up. More people are watching more than ever. Is there anybody that you can tell me in today's game that has Reggie White-like qualities? Yeah. Um, there, there's, there's, there's a few players out there that are, are, are very dominant at their style of play. Yeah. But to be dominant at their style but able to change. Reggie can beat you around the outside. He can run you over. He's not that quick that's going to beat you on the inside with hand moves. Right. But you don't have to. He's very deceiving. So if you need to answer your question, you have to 
get the fast athlete that's also powerful. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, I think uh, the Rams have a couple of guys that can fit that. that, 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 that. Aaron Donald. and He's yeah. uh, something special to watch. Um, there's a few guys coming off the end that is pretty special to watch. But I look at not their talent. I kind of look at the talent they're going against. You right. know, they, everybody looks good when, you, when you're not playing against a good offensive line. Right. But when you're playing against a good offensive line, the players that shut down, you say, all right, they're only good when the, the table's going their way. Right. Uh, against to the player that there's times that I had knocked down drag outs all game long. And at the end of the game, you say, you know what, I'll see you next time. And there's sometimes I had a game when I knew the game was over within the first quarter. You know, you hit him and you hear that breath come out of him and be like, I got him. Yeah. He's not going to be any problem for the rest of the day. Right. And that's, that's real. Nobody in the stadium, not hundreds of thousands, millions of people don't have to know about it. Between me and that person I hit, they know that their game is over. And there's, I don't see that toughness in a lot of players out there these days. Right. Who, who gave you your hardest hit on the field? My hardest hit came from, I couldn't even tell you his name. I don't even know his, I don't know his jersey. Did you see stars? I've seen everything. I've seen birds, stars. And it was funny because birds, it was on Real it. Sports on, on HBO. And uh, me and my dad talked after every game. And, and, and I, it was an away game. And I was on kickoff return, the center of the wedge, which is illegal now. And my job was to go back. I'm the only player on the field that turns my back to everybody on the field that's coming to knock me out. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh so no. I turn my back. I wait for the receiver to catch, I mean, the uh, kick returner to catch the ball. And then I have to turn around, sort out all the mess, and find my guy. Well, I found him, but he wasn't my guy because somebody else had their eyes on me already uh. coming from the opposite way. So I got blindsided. I got hit. And... Uh, I never seen it coming, and it was probably about a 230-pound guy knocked me off my feet. He probably got, you know, all kinds of ice cream treats after. <laughs> <laughs> but I seen it played back on real sports, and it was it was like whoa. But you know, you give them out, you got to be able to take them, you know. Yeah. And, and, and that that was like, that was a hit. That's one of those things that have changed your life. <laughs> you talked you talked about your locker room. You were coached by Mike Holmgren, and he had he did great in Green Bay. Went to Seattle, turned things around there. Take us through a Mike Holmgren locker room-led coach football team. Mike Holmgren was um, old school, my way or the highway kind of guy. Ah. And that kind of really doesn't work as much these days because, like I said, there's, there's players that are more powerful than coaches. There's players that are getting coaches replaced now, you know. Mm -hmm. Before, you'd never heard of that 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Right. But um, Mike Holmgren was a my way or highway, but I'm going to be brutally honest with you. And, and as long as you can handle it, then I'll give it to you. And that, and you got to respect that. Not everybody respects that. I did, you know. Tell me the truth, no matter how much it hurts, and, and then we can sort it out from there. So Mike Holmgren, he's the first one to tell you when you screw up, and he's the first one to pat you in the back when you do good. So um, his, day, his day was, I don't want to know your name, especially in camp. We had no names on the back of our jerseys. Wow. We had nothing because he didn't want to know what your wife's name was, how many kids you got, are you enlisting them in school? Because he doesn't want that to play into uh, making his decisions on who he keeps. I want to keep the purest athletes that are going to help this team win, and then we'll work all that stuff out after. And you have to respect wow. that. But Bill Cowell was um, my kind of coach as well. Like He brought me in, and when he came in, he's the player's coach. He's the guy that's not going to be like, go do what I tell you. He's, gonna, he's the guy that put on a helmet and says, let me show you how I want you to do this. And, and that's two different things. And not both ways work with everybody, with every athlete. 
Um, they both work with me because I just was happy to be there and, and I was appreciative that they gave me a chance. But um, not every athlete is, is, is like me. <laughs> right. All right. Uh, you going to stick around for a little bit? Yeah, I'm not going anywhere. I'm Absolutely. All right. More with Gary Brown next here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Worldwide Sports Radio presents the, 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 the Haystack Show Yo. with Mike Guido. And here we go, hour number three. It's the Haystack on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Mike Guido, Evan Mazza, my producer, Monica Ray, Big J, journalist. It is good to have you in here on a Tuesday. Monica, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I am great. Gary Brown, offensive lineman, former uh, Super Bowl champion, Gary Brown, joining us today. Uh, here to it, having a huge toy drive today, 150 Motor Parkway here in Hop Hog. Uh, there is already a pile of toys that are already here, and we've only we've only been doing this for about an hour. So come down, bring toys, grab a sandwich, let us entertain you. Gary Brown's here; he'll sign autographs. He's got a bunch of these things. I'm going to grab myself one before I leave here, but. Uh, we have so much stuff to cover, uh, Gary Brown. And Monica, I think, wanted to ask you about injuries. Yeah. So, playing football, I'm sure you had a lot of injuries. Yeah, it's just as dangerous as anything else, skateboarding yeah. or anything else. And what was your worst <laughs> on-field injury? Actually, I, was, I did pretty well. I only had a couple of knee scopes um, throughout my whole career. I mean, I broke every one of my fingers probably at least once, some of them Oof. two or three Ouch. times. But that's Oof. it. I, I was pretty lucky with... Um, I didn't have any major injuries. All, all my injuries came after football. And was wow. that wear and tear from football or just from what you did after football? It could be um, It could be things I did before I played football. It could be things I did after football. I know, um, you know, just getting old, you know. So, so, so after football, what are you doing now? Because we talked about careers and making that career change from the field to... That's a trick question because after football... Um, I, it was a, 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 something I had to deal with moving back to Brentwood, moving back into my childhood home in my childhood bedroom was a hard pill to swallow. After knee surgery, I couldn't walk. I, I, it wasn't a great surgery. It took me six months to recover from. And it was a hard pill to swallow. I went through a, probably a bit of a depression. And then I tried to bounce back and get a job, and I, I, I couldn't get hired. People were saying you were overqualified. I'm like, what does that mean? You're paying, I'm willing to do the job, pay me. But long story short, I started picking up any kind of job I can just to um, stay busy and, and, and to live that football player lifestyle. Whenever you walk into a certain establishment and you see your friends, they're like, oh, champ, people expect things. And as a football player and living in the limelight, you want to, to give them that or, or, or you feel obligated to almost. So I was working um, probably three, four jobs, moonlighting at security at night, um, maintenance job, running a construction crew, real estate appraiser, and this is all just so I can afford to keep up the appearance of I'm still making football money. But um, all of that came to an end when I hurt my back, and when I hurt my back in 2009, I, um, were, I didn't think it was that serious, but that's the, the football player in me. Um, I ended up, I was paralyzed for a while. I was paralyzed from waist down, and I was told I was never going to walk again, and it was a tough pill for me to swallow, Yeah. which led me into um, giving back. 
Um, I had nothing but time on my hand now. Yeah. I always wanted to give back. I always wanted to be a part of something positive. But as playing football, I would love to do that, but I got things to do. I'm busy. And then after football, I was working so hard and doing so much that I didn't have time. I was taking naps here and there to keep up to get my sleep. Right. So I was put in a situation where I had nothing but time. Um, I was laying in bed. I was told I was never going to walk again. And the first thing I did was volunteer with uh, Big Brother, Big Sister. And um, the day I volunteered to be a mentor, things in my life just turned for me. It, it, I knew right the minute I did it that this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what my life is supposed to be about. This is what's going to give me purpose. When you finish playing football, you look for something or anything to scratch that itch, that competitive itch, that competing and I couldn't find it, and I looked everywhere. And um, the giving back was the first thing that came close to scratching that. And then the, the work that I do now between um, the American Vet Dog, uh, right. I'm on their board of directors, I'm on the board of directors for the American Red Cross. I, I do a lot of hands-on work with Play For Your Freedom where we go into VA hospitals and pull out veterans and get that feeling of PTSD, and we play football, wiffle ball, basketball, yoga, we, whatever it is, we do it, and I do it with them. And we break bread, and we have a good time, and it, the only thing it does is gets their mind off of the things that they're going through in the hospital. Right. And it's having a positive effect on them. So me just trying to do my part and, and teach other people how to do their part is what I do now. Right. Well, I know you do a great job at that because I, I met you uh, the week before Thanksgiving. I volunteered at, at uh, your first pack up at the sim play and then I was so impressed you had to see the way that Gary spoke to every single kid that came in if the kid touched a can of food and carried one bag you looked him dead in the eye and you made him feel special and that's that's pretty incredible thank you you know yeah so I I actually want to touch on something that you just said because there was you, you were talking about how you went through kind of a uh kind of a uh, depression post-career and you know, you you had to move back home, and it was just it was a tough pill for you to swallow. It just wasn't. It, it was something that you didn't expect for yourself, right? So, I talk about this all the time on the show. Uh, I talk about how players like and it, it. It seems like we're singling them out. We're really not trying to, but we players like Odell Beckham, right? Who I call him. He's the Kyrie Irving of the NFL. You know, it just seems like no matter where he goes, he's unhappy. You know, like, when Kyrie Irving was in Boston, he played for a great fan base, a great organization with a great history. It's a great city, a great arena. He was making a ton of money. He had great teammates. He had a great coach. Like, you couldn't build a more perfect situation for Kyrie Irving in Boston, but he was unhappy anyway. And that has everything to do with attitude. And I see the same thing with Odell. Wasn't happy in New York, wanted to trade, got traded to Cleveland. Now he's playing with his best friend, and he's playing with a quarterback that's just as competitive as he is. And, like... To me, there's no reason for a player that's as talented and as gifted and is making as much money as he is to be unhappy. I feel like there's actually a message there, and you and you portray that. I, there is. Um, and, and the biggest thing is teaching the kids that are coming behind them because it's not – you can't go out and look for – got to make your own happiness. you got to do what you have to do to – be content and thankful for what you do have. Right. Because you are going to be thankful and you are going to be content, but it's just a matter of when. Because there's athletes before Odell. Odell's going to be right down the line with um, with uh, 
with uh, Ocho Cinco and Terrell Owens, when their career ended, those two guys could go to any team in the NFL and start and be probably at 75% and be the number one receiver and their career's over. Why is that? Because of your personality, because of things you're saying out of your mouth? It has nothing to do with your athletic ability or your talent, but you're not playing. Right. So, you know, people are replaced. People think they're not replaceable when you're on your high horse and you're like, well, look how great I am. Uh, Cleveland's proven that, Odell, you're just another player. You know, we're not right. throwing to you. We're, we're competing in games. We're acting like you're not even here in case you want to go someplace. You know? Right. So you, he'll learn. It's just a matter of everybody learns. People in prison learn. It's just a matter of when you're going to learn. You right. know, are you going to learn when you do your, your first couple of months? Are you going to learn when you do your first couple of years? Or are you going to be a lifer and you learn when you're 50 years long, 50 right. years old? You're going to learn. You know, you can't go through life acting like that and expect and expecting it to be okay. It's just a matter. The sooner you learn, the more you're going to enjoy everything after that. Odell needs to, you know, the circle that he walks in and the people that he deals with, and everybody's probably, you know, Odell, you're the best because he's given. What can you give me? You right. know, but if you want to be real, talk to somebody real. Talk to me. I'll put you. I'll put him straight. I'll put him down. Me, him, and a cup of coffee. And by the time that coffee's done. He'll look at life in a total different way. Right. Now, there's this uh, there's this question I always ask, and this kind of boils down to uh, the thing that you were saying about Mike Holmgren and how he was running practice. And he didn't he didn't want to know your name. He didn't want to know your family. He didn't want to know anything because he wanted to, to he wanted to make the fairest decision, and you needed to buy into that. Right. To, I always bring up because if you could have a team full of guys that are really uber talented that are just so like the Odells, like the Le'Veon Bells, like the you know Patrick Mahomes guys, not singling out loud guys or anything like that, but just guys that are really really talented, would you rather have a team that is full of guys that are super talented or a bunch of guys that instill a really great culture? Instill a very good culture. Talent talent is only good as as, as much as it's driven. You have to drive talent. You have to. The teams that win Super Bowls aren't the most talented teams. They are. They're not the most talented players. They are the most talented team. You need every player. Um, during my era, Washington tried to buy a Super Bowl. That's when they brought in Deion Sanders. They brought in like five Pro Bowlers on defense, three Pro Bowlers on offense. They had a quarterback. They had only. They're gonna be the next best thing in the whole wide world. Nobody's gonna beat them. Right. But you know what that does? For every guy that's second string on that team, I'm not going to go practice hard. I don't have a chance of seeing the field over these guys. Right. What am I? So to have that hunger and drive, you need people that's behind the starters that sniff and saying, I, I have the opportunity to start. I can beat this guy. I can, if I outplay this guy, they're going to play me. If you're not going to do that with a superstar there. With right. a superstar, they're gonna, you can outplay him every day of the week. They're still going to play the superstar because of his track record. Right. So that takes away from that competitive edge in practice, in meetings, and discipline on time, and discipline on, on, on all the fine-tuned things that it takes to be a champion. So when you get a team of mediocre people, and I don't mean that in any disrespect to anybody, but you get a, a thing of fine athletes where they're all competing for a job, they're bringing their A game every day to practice. They're at meetings early because they don't want to be singled out of, of, of being tardy. They're doing extra work after practice. They're going home and getting their rest. They're eating their vegetables. They're doing everything they're supposed to do right. to give them that little bit of an edge of winning that position. 
And what that does is it builds it builds a, a, a character of the team. And these are the teams that you see right. winning in the fourth quarter or not making bonehead mistakes or errors in, 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 when they're tired. Fatigue makes a punk of us all. And if you're not working really hard every day, your fatigue will show. And, and it, it does. It's evident. So what's... Uh... <clears throat> Who's a who's a guy? Because all of what you're saying is 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 fantastic, and I think more players need to uh, need to kind of hop on the same train. Do, who is somebody that you see in the league today that you see that has those qualities that you're talking about—the leadership, the buy-in, the selflessness, all of that stuff? There, there, there. Many of them on every team. It's just a matter if they have a voice, right? And and if you drowned out. It could be five of them on a team, but if you got 40 guys that are, are, are not like that, you're going to get smothered. They're going to go look at the show off. But so it's up to the it's up to the coaches, it's up to the management to bring in the proper guys. Not just because you're talented, but you also got to have the right personality. Right. You have the work ethic. That work ethic. And there's people get paid a lot of money to go and psychologically evaluate player high, college players. They start looking at these guys in high school and, and, and their track record and seeing what they got going on and watch their practice film to see if they're lazy, if they're giving that extra. Those are the guys that I want on my team. I want the blue-collar, grunt work, never quit. I don't care how much you're getting beat. I'm still fighting to the end. And that's the way I played the game. I played the game. I don't. It, it's, what's really bad is when you lose a game and you played really well, you can't enjoy that win. Right. But there's guys that you win the game and you play really bad and they're just as happy. Mm. That's not me. I feel bad if I don't play well. You right. know, I don't care what the score is. I don't care if we won or lost. I do want to win. But if I didn't do my job, I feel like I let the team down. And I took that very serious. And, I, right. and, and that passion is something that not everybody has. You know, I've played with guys that were very ta- talented, good football players, but they just didn't have the heart for it. So let me let me ask you this, because Monica brought up injuries before, and I'm actually really fascinated by this, because I feel like the players and the public have a different view on this. Um, as far as concussions and everything like that, the NFL is really beginning to take an initiative in trying to, I'll say, protect players, right? They've, they've eliminated head-to-head hits. They've tried, I wouldn't say eliminated it, but they've started to penalize it and all of that uh, stuff. Do, how are your feelings on what the NFL is doing to protect player safety, and how do you feel about the defensive rules that they're implementing to do that? Well, there's a gray line because I think me and you were talking off-air, and I said business side of this ruined it for me. Yes. They're not really protecting the players. They're prote- the NFL, I'm talking, yeah. they're protecting themselves from lawsuits. They're protecting right. themselves from future uh, problems or, or litigations and things right. of that nature. Mm-hmm. And, they're, and they're putting it in form of protecting the players. Right. Because if they really were protecting the players, we wouldn't be in this situation. Sure. We're in this situation because all of this data that they know now, today, they knew 20 years ago, but they held the, they, they, they chose to help hold the information to keep the game as fascinating as it was. Right. Um, five years ago, they, they're banning illegal hits, but the guy does an illegal hit, um, he gets fined $5,000, $10,000, $20,000, but they take that illegal hit and they posterize it, 
and they own the rights to it, and they're selling it on the internet. You know, right. and, that, and the player gets none of that money. So he gets fined for the hit, and the NFL makes money off of the hit. But you know, how does that make sense? So right. you're glorifying it, and you're and you're punishing people, but you're saying, oh no, we don't want it. Wow. So when you start looking at the business side of this. It's all about business, and, and the NFL is a is a monopoly. There's nothing that withstands it. They don't want any competition. I know there's other leagues are starting to come out, but they've been coming out for years, and they start and they end, and that is all due to credit with the NFL. Right. They're they they're keeping it that way, they, and that's the way they want it. What what do you think about players that are convicted of crimes? I mean, I'm not really talking about the drugs, but I'm talking about violent crimes against women or, you know, DWIs where somebody is killed. Should they be allowed back on the field? I think if they're um, not behind jail? I, I I think if they go through the legal system and they do their and, and they pay their, their 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 punishment, why not? Um, it's not you don't need a license. If it's something that takes a New York state license to be qualify for that position and you do a crime and then you go after you, you serve your time you're able to get a New York State license again right. then you should be able to resume whatever that license holds so why is football any different right. you know and I, when I, whenever I'm pr- approached with that question yeah. I tell people how would you feel about somebody in the stock market or how would you feel about somebody doing this or that I, I mean it's the same thing. You know, right. this is a job. This is right. it's, it's a regular business. Yes, it's an entertainment, but it's still work. And I wouldn't deny anybody the livelihood. And people change. You know, um, some people go through the system and or, or, or go through a situation, and it changes them for life. Right. So why would you, um, you know, hold, punish that person for the rest of his life for somebody that learned their lesson years ago? Mm. You know, so I, I think every situation is different, but that's my belief on it. I wouldn't want to be the person making a decision to hold back a man from earning for his family, or women from earning from their family, and not knowing that person, not knowing their heart, their soul, or, or, or their repentance. So, so uh, last thing before I let uh, before I let you go, Gary, because this is uh, obviously a huge event here. This is an incredibly meaningful thing that you're doing here today at this cafe. Uh, again, I, I want to give you another chance to, uh, you know, let people be aware of your foundation, what you're get, what you get involved in, and you know how people can get involved in what you're doing. So, uh, you know, kind of tell people where where is all of this is uh, all this is stemming from, all of this is coming from, and how other people can get involved as well. I have a lot going on, and it'll be another whole radio show to have to um, <laughs> yeah. list everything. <laughs> I, I, but, I understand. Um, like I said, I'm involved with a lot of stuff in the community, the local community, um, all over New York, even in the city, even in Jersey. I'm involved with um, a veterans program. I have two of those that I have going on, Play for Your Freedom, American Vet Dog, Guide Dog Foundation. I have my own uh, nonprofit organization, which is Dream 68 and the Gary Big Brown 68 Foundation. And they all can be, you can email me or you can follow me on IG. Right. Um, my Instagram handle is GBB68Foundation. Um, my website, I don't want to give out because I'm revamping it. And, yeah. and, and once I re- revamp it, it'll be a one-stop shopping for everything. Right. So that's a lot of components moving at the same time. But um, that's my Instagram. Oh, you always email me at uh, bigbrown68 at aol.com. And any real estate, anything got going on, you can uh, email me at garybrown at kw.com. Nice. 
Awesome. Wait. Gary Brown, former offensive lineman for the Green Bay Packers, a Super Bowl champion. Absolutely awesome to have him here today. Uh, Gary, it was really a pleasure. I appreciate the time. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for having me, and let's do it again sometime. Absolutely. Absolutely. We would, be, we would absolutely be sure to have him back. All right. Coming up next, we play What Are the Chances at the End of Every Tuesday. That is coming up next here in the Haystack on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're listening to the Haystack Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Good to have you back. Haystack, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Mike, Evan, Monica here on a Tuesday. Uh, we were absolutely loaded today. We had a great, absolutely great, great interview with Gary Brown, former offensive lineman of the Green Bay Packers, Super Bowl champion, uh, hosting a toy drive today for Project yeah. Toy, the Family Service League uh, here in uh, New York, 150 uh, Motor Parkway in Hot Park, New York. Uh, absolutely great thing going on today here at the cafe. But we do this every single Tuesday. We play What Are the Chances? Evan gives me a situation. I give you the percentage chance that that thing happens. Evan, here we go. So last week against the Miami Dolphins, the New York Jets ran uh, actually ran the football 30 times, 32 times to be exact. So what are the chances on Thursday night against Baltimore? They run the ball 30 times again against the Ravens. Well, wait, didn't Miami already play the Ravens? Which, what did I say? Did I say the Jets? Did I say <laughs> yeah. the Dolphins or the Jets? Yeah, you said, said the, the Dolphins. I meant the Jets. Sorry. The Jets. Oh, yeah. The, oh, yeah. The, Jets, the are Jets. Playing, Jets are playing the Ravens on Thursday night. Yes. Uh, so the, for how many yards, you said? Not, not yards, just running the ball 30 times. That's all. Yes, yes. I, I think that that does happen. I mean, give, me like an, give me like an 80% chance that that happens. I, I really do think they're going to run the ball a lot. Uh, they're going to try and control time of possession. They're going to try and not have the Ravens control the clock. They're going to try and even it as much as they can. The, I think the Jets, like I said, they're going to try and keep this game as close as they possibly can. Not sure how possible that is, but they're going to run the ball a ton. Le'Veon Bell's going to get 25 carries. That the Jets are going to run the ball a ton, 80%. This will be interesting also to monitor. Ravens have a couple of injuries. Lamar Jackson, Ronnie Stanley, and Mark Andrews to monitor. Ronnie Stanley is a big one. If he's out, what are the chances Jordan Jenkins notches two sacks on Lamar Jackson? I like 10. I'm going to say like 10%. No way. Like, Jordan Jenkins is not a bad player, but the, Lamar Jackson's the best at escaping pressure in the entire league. I, it's not going to happen. I, I just I don't see it happening. So, the, as far as the escapability of Lamar Jackson and Jordan Jenkins and you know two sacks, a lot to ask for. I'm going to say like ten percent. Not. I don't think it's going to happen. One last one with that Raven check game. Sam Darnold has been pretty turnover prone over his first two years. Now he's facing a Raven defense that's top five, top six unit in the league right now. Yeah. So what are the chances the Jet, the Ravens, force Sam Darnold into two into two, two interceptions today? I really think that that happens. I'm going to say like 75%. I'm actually really in on that. That's, like I said, Sam Darnold is a young quarterback. He's still making a lot of mistakes. Uh, He doesn't have that many weapons. Maybe those turnovers aren't even 100% on him, but they are, uh, I think they are due to something. And that Ravens secondary is as good as they get in the league. Marcus Peters has been the best corner in football since he got traded. I, I'm going to actually say that he could. I, I think Sam Darnold could have three interceptions in this game. I think two, almost definite. I'm going to say 75. percent 
That Ravens front against the Jets offensive line is gonna be is, could be could be a, a bad matchup for Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold might be here for a long day on Thursday. So on to the Bears Packers game. Last time Aaron Rodgers barely threw for over 200 yards in Chicago. So this time he will throw for over 250 against the Bears defense at Lambeau Field. Uh, mm, that's a good one. Say it to me again. Aaron Rodgers will pass for over 250 against the Chicago Bears. Back in week one, he barely threw for over 200. I am going to say like 65%. I think he does get over 250. Uh, I, I think, listen, Aaron Rodgers is going to face a lot of pressure, but this secondary for the uh, for the Bears is actually relatively average. It is not great. They have good safeties, not great corners. Uh, I think when it comes to man coverage, I, the Packers are going to win a lot of those battles, uh, and it's at Lambeau, so I'm... I actually like that. I'm going to say Aaron Rodgers does go over 250. 60, I'm going to say 65%. So Mitch Trubisky has had a really big last couple of weeks, especially two two weeks in a row with three touchdowns. Mitch Trubisky, does he have another one in him this week? Uh, no. I'm going to say like 25%. I, I really don't think Mitch is the answer. I really don't. Uh, I think his, his good weeks are really spotty. I'm not in love with how he is as a player. I'm gonna say like I'm gonna say like 20%. So the Patriots offensive points, they have not gone over 30 since their 33-0 shutout against the New York Jets. Since then, 27, 20, 17, 9, 22, 23. They will get to 30 against the Bengals in Cincinnati. No, I don't think so. I'm gonna say like 30%. I, I think, like I said, I, I think that right now. Right now, I think the Patriots' offense is among the worst in football. I don't think that they're going to be able to – because they don't have any playmakers. They don't have any playmakers on offense to take advantage of the Bengals' defense. Now, I think since – I think New England wins the football game, but I don't think – like, I I don't think Cincinnati's going to have too much trouble stopping them. I really don't. You know, like, they – it's it's Brady's accuracy and a lack of playmakers. It doesn't matter what defense you're playing – if you can't move the ball, you can't move the ball. So I, I, I'm going to say like 30%. I really don't think that they that the Patriots put up 30. I, I'm, I'd be surprised if they put up 20. Must win game for the Cowboys against the Rams. Now the Eagles have gotten their win yesterday. Ezekiel Elliott hasn't had a 100-yard game since the Monday Nighter against the Giants. He's taking out, They're taking on the Rams' defense as 12th in the league in rush defense, giving up over 104 yards on the ground per game. So Zeke, for the first time since November 4th, will get over 100 yards rushing on Sunday against the Rams. Nope, I don't think so. 25%. L- listen, the Rams' defense is actually pretty good up front. Aaron Donald is one of the most, if not the most, dominant defensive player in the league. Uh, they're going to do a number on Zeke. They're going to really try to dial in on shutting him down because when they shut him down, the Cowboys' offense gets really one-dimensional. Dak Prescott is forced to be perfect when he can't be. So I, I got to be honest. I, I, I think the Rams win this weekend, and I think Zeke has a tough night. I, I, I think Zeke might not get over 50 yards this weekend. Let's go to baseball. Uh, Steven Strasburg got his big contract yesterday, seven years, $245 million. Yeah. And we got the report. There was a report that came out by Joel Sherman that said Garrett Cole's contract will exceed over $300 million. So what are the chances 
When he means by exceeding over 300 million, it's about 320. <sighs> I, I'm going to say like 95%. I, I really, I think Garrett Cole is going to get an absurd amount of money. Like I said earlier, I think, I think the happiest man on the planet yesterday after Steven Strasburg got his contract was Garrett Cole. Because Garrett Cole's contract just skyrocketed. Absolutely skyrocketed. So, uh, 100%, without a doubt, Garrett Cole, I think, is going to get 320 at least. He's going to get eight or nine years. He's going to get over $36 million a year. Uh, I mean, Garrett Cole's going to make a lot of money. He's going to make more than 320. All right, give me give me one more, and then we'll go home. All right, we'll stay with baseball. After, Gar- after Steven Strasburg's big signing... The next domino to fall and sign won't be Garrett Cole. What are the chances? I really think Garrett Cole is going to be the next guy. I think Garrett Cole could sign by tonight or tomorrow. Uh, teams are way too aggressive on him. I don't think he's going to take his time. I think the offers are going to be too good. I think Garrett Cole is going to be the next guy to sign. I'm going to say like, I'm going to say like, 25, 28 percent right now on that. I, I, I really do believe that Garrett Cole is going to get signed this week and the two big pitchers are going to come off the market relatively quickly. And then after that, we might see a little bit of a lull in free agency, but right now I think teams are too aggressive. They're going hard after uh, uh, after Garrett Cole. Every team is really, really heavily pursuing him. Uh, I, I'm going to say Garrett Cole is the next domino to fall. All right, there we go. That's Woo. one of the chances we play it every Tuesday. Here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. So that does it for us. Uh, again, thanks so much to Gary Brown for uh, allowing uh, allowing us to take some of his time, allowing us to host this amazing toy drive. We uh, Seriously, there is a gigantic pile of pile toys of toys over there. I mean, it is massive. Um, so, again, I appreciate everybody that came down. Uh, there's still time. Come down, donate some toys. Just because we're not going to be on the air uh, does not mean that this event ends. Come down, donate some toys. Make some, uh, make somebody's holiday season just a little bit better this year. Uh, so as for Monica Ray, our Big J journalist, Evan Mazza, my producer, I'm Mike Guido. This is the Haystack on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll see ya. you. You're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.